Welcome to the Money Wise Women Show, brought to you by MoneyMorphosis.com. Are you ready to be inspired to upgrade your financial skills? Listen to feminine leaders sharing practical advice and valuable insights. Shift your money mindset, improve communication skills, and learn financial management tips. Although we do not provide investment advice, you can check out MoneyMorphosis.com. That's Money-M-O-R-P-H-O-S-I-S.com to find simple ways to boost your true wealth. Hello, it's Crystal Arnold, your hostess of Money Wise Women and founder of Money Morphosis. So I have a feeling that we are all ready for a new story of money and what is valuable and uh, that's why I am super excited to be here today with this uh, stimulating conversation. Um, I first wanted to begin just by, you know, my, my uh, college degree is in international economics. And I really became aware of the limitations of this um, dominating story of an economy of growth where more was always better and there was a certain striving and and drive that has really been fueling some, um, frankly, quite destructive behavior. Uh, And I just wanted to tell everyone about a book that just came out um, and it's got a delicious name. It's actually called Donut Economics. Seven Ways to Think Like a 21st Century Economist by Kate Raworth. And uh, she's from Oxford University. So this book is, um, is very exciting because it takes that bigger picture of how do we uh, organize and coordinate as humans through the exchange of money. Because money is not neutral, uh, the design of it actually has a great impact on, on people's behavior. And so we really need to not only reimagine uh, our economic policy, but also have a framework for the new economy, which she provides in, in this book. And so when we begin to look at a, a bigger uh, holistic picture of what true wealth is in our own lives, um, then we can begin to reimagine not only our own personal story of money, which we'll be, get, be getting into in a moment here with our guests, but also the bigger picture of our um, bigger myth and story about the economy. So I am so pleased to introduce our guest today, who uh, her name is Deborah Fryer. She is a catalyst for change and also a creative coach for spiritual entrepreneurs who are seeking greater emotional and financial freedoms in their lives and businesses. She has created a revolutionary coaching program called the Anatomy of Money, which combines storytelling, visualization, ancient wisdom, and modern neuroscience to retrain the brain for ease, abundance, and joy. 
Her work bridges spirituality, mindset, and mindfulness, strategic action, and connection to source. Yes, I love her approach because it really does work with all both sides of our brain and is incredibly effective to support people in uh, becoming more prosperous and, and satisfied with their lives. So welcome, Deborah. Hello there. Hello. Hey. So happy to be here. Yes. Um, so I'd love to hear first about, um, you know, what do you find most exciting and fulfilling about the work that you are doing? I love being able to help the clients that I work with find more freedom. I, I came to this through a lot of struggle in my own life and my own business where I really didn't feel free. I felt slave to money. I hated money. I resented money. I didn't respect money. I thought it was dirty and awful, and I wanted nothing to do with it. And, and the, as a consequence of my very unhealthy relationship with money, I didn't have any. <laughs> it was like I was always saying to money, go away, I hate you, and money did. It went away. It didn't flow through my business because I was so at odds with it. I thought I couldn't be spiritual and make money. I didn't think it was safe to have money. I thought people who had money were jerks. I had all of these beliefs around money that really, really blocked me and hurt me and created a lot of pain and suffering and scarcity and striving in my life. And it affected my health, it affected my business, it affected my vitality, it affected my relationships. And now that I've healed all of this, or continue to heal it, money flows through me like breath, like food. Mm. It's just energy. And I'm able to share that with the people that I work with who are creative, who are spiritual, who value sustainability, who value the planet. And what I've come to understand is that money is energy that is flowing through us. And I love Mother Nature as a teacher. So in answer to your question, what do I love about this? I love that I get to teach the value of sustainability and how Mother Nature functions and take that into our businesses, and that becomes incredibly prosperous and vital and beautiful and joyful. And let me just share a little bit what I mean by that. So if you think about the water cycle, right, water, we live on a blue, on a blue planet, and that water cycle, according to Mother Nature, is constantly moving around the globe in various forms. And in your individual life, you might turn on the tap and fill your glass with water and drink that water. And it moves through your individual body and your individual filtration system. And then it leaves your body and it goes back into the collective water source and back out eventually to a river and back out eventually to the ocean where it will eventually evaporate, become clouds, which will be transported around the planet and come down as rain or snow and then melt into the rivers and eventually make its way back into your tap. Air does the same thing, right? It circulates around the planet and it comes into our lungs. It circulates in our individual bodies and goes back out. Our exhalation is the tree's inhalation. And this reciprocal symbiotic relationship that we're experiencing with nature 
is the same way that it's possible for us to relate to money. It's not mine. It's flowing through me so that I can serve more, so that I can have greater influence and greater impact and share in organizations and causes that I value. And for me, that means that I can contribute way more to sustainability, which is something I really value. So that's why it's so valuable to me and why I love it so much is because I get to help people find more freedom in their own being. And the money that comes into my business from helping people goes right back to saving the environment. So Mm -hmm. it really feels like my mission serves the planet and my planet serves the mission. And it it works because I get to contribute more. Oh, I just invite listeners to, you know, uh, feel that flow of breath in your own body and maybe taking some deep breaths and feeling how that metaphor of money as water or air moves through our bodies and the earth is that we really are part of nature and that the scarcity and the holding on and, and the restriction um, you know, causes uh, a lot of suffering for, for people and we can have greater vitality when there's a balanced flow of in and out breath and with our finances. And uh, I, I love your approach and, uh, and wisdom and, and how the science is really behind what you're sharing and the neuroscience of how our minds actually work. Um, so I'd love to hear a little bit more about how you discovered what you are now teaching in the anatomy of money. Thanks. That is a great question. So I shared a little bit earlier that I really struggled in my business. And my, the business that I am talking about when I say that I struggled in my business is that I'm a documentary filmmaker. And I make films about the environment and about uh, climate change and about health. And I had been doing that, have been doing that for years, and it wasn't sustainable. And I have won lots of awards for it, and I'm always in demand as a filmmaker, but I was never charging for my work uh, appropriately. I would charge a fraction of what it actually cost me to do the work because I was so afraid to charge what it actually cost to do the work. And so underneath of this outer success was this inner feeling of, I'm such a fraud, I'm such a loser, I'm such a poser, right? I was really out of balance with myself, and I felt so much shame of being out of balance with myself because I was making films about how does the planet be in balance, and to add to my self-loathing and and the way that I would self-deprecate I was also teaching yoga and meditation. And for all of my calm and my flexibility and my strength, inside I felt so empty. And I didn't know how to reconcile it. So I decided I'll quit. I'll quit being a filmmaker. And I will go, quote, I'm making air quotes in my office right now, I'll get a real job with a real paycheck and I'll get some real respect. And to me, Mm -hmm. what that meant was I would go to medical school. And the crazy thing about this is that I had never taken a science class since sixth grade, and I was in my 40s when I made this decision that I was going to go be a real doctor and have a real paycheck and get some real respect. So 
I was kind of late to the game to decide I wanted to go to medical school, but I did decide I wanted to go to medical school. So I had to do a post-baccalaureate pre-medical program where I just immersed myself in chemistry, organic chemistry, biology, physiology, anatomy, psychology. I did all of those prereqs, and I was working in the anatomy lab for two years. And right in the middle of this, there was a flood. And in the flood, a third of our house went away, the basement of the house, which is where my office is, my, where my film edit suite is, where my meditation altar is. And so we lost a third of our house. We ended up considerably in debt from that. So that was mm. like my first and second chakras just went away. And then uh, a week later, my dad dropped off his, his chair and he died of a heart attack. He just fell off mm. his chair and that was the end. So, you know, I lost another piece of my foundation, my dad. And the next day after my dad passed, I was working in the anatomy lab and it was my job to go in and prepare the heart for the class. So I had to take the heart out of a body and physically hold a heart in my hands the day after my father had died of a heart attack. And that was a profound moment of transformation for me because holding the heart in my hands, I was able to physically feel the weight of the heart. I could see how the heart works in a coordinated fashion where part is constricting, the upper atria, the upper chambers of the heart constrict, and when they constrict, the ventricles, the lower chambers open and receive. And then the ventricles constrict and they push the blood through the body to the lungs to be oxygenated or out to the organs and muscles and brain. And I could see that this dance of contract, expand, give away, receive, that expansion, contraction, that pulsation is in every single thing we do. It's in every breath we take. It's in every meal we eat. Peristalsis, the digestive process itself, is contract, expand. It's in the pulsation of light and dark, of warm and cold, of night and day, of the tides. And I just got this massive download that that is how everything works from the atomic level all the way out to the expansion of the universe. Mm. And I realized I had not been living my life like that. I had not been running my business like that. The way I had been running my business was I'm supposed to go, 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 go. I'm supposed to do, do, do. I'm supposed to create, 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 create. And that is not how Mother Nature does it. And I remember walking out of the anatomy lab that October 19th, and the sky was this incredible cobalt blue color, and the aspens were gold and yellow, and the wind was moving through the leaves. And just watching the leaves drop as I was in my grief that autumn, because I had no place to do my creative work. We had debt. I had no money coming in. I was missing my dad. And I just sat with my grief, and I gave myself permission to be in the embrace of Mother Nature and do whatever Mother Nature did. And I watched her drop all of her leaves with such ease, such grace. And I just kept saying to myself, Deborah, if you can just drop what's not serving you, can you just let it go? Can you allow it to be in your nature that it's time to let go? And I gave myself permission to go underground and grieve until I saw the first crocus. Mm. And I did massive self-care, massive baths, meditation, crying, 
journaling, sleeping, reading, drinking tea, making soup. And every time I felt the impulse to create and I felt this little voice haranguing me, saying, you're not doing it, you're not creating, what do you think you're doing? I just reminded myself I'm doing what Mother Nature is doing. And I started to notice that in winter, as it was dark and the leaves were so bare, how beautiful Mother Nature looked in her vulnerability and how much more light was able to come through. And I really took that to heart. And I really embraced my own vulnerability and allowed more light into my life and my business and and let my inner child really feel held in the safety of that, of being vulnerable, knowing that I was doing what nature was doing and that I am of nature. All of us evolved from nature. And why mm. should I think that I have any other rules than hers? Why should mm-hmm. I think that I get to live in a way where I'm producing and creating 24-7, not sleeping, not resting, not regenerating? Like, that's crazy. I Like, to me, that was crazy because I am this. So why am I following rules different from this? Mm-hmm. And that changed everything. When the first crocus came up in the spring, film projects started rolling in, and that year my business increased by a 1,000%, not by me doing anything except my inner work of attending to my nature, which is mother nature. I did no marketing. I did no advertising. I didn't raise my rates. All I did was give myself permission to sleep eight hours a day, to meditate every day, to forgive myself and a whole bunch of other self-care, and that was massive in my business. And then the next year, uh, my business went up a little bit more, and then people started coming to me. And I'm talking as a filmmaker. So I went from really struggling as a filmmaker to having close to a six-figure business as a filmmaker. Um, And then after a couple of years of this, this all started in 2013, people started coming to me and saying, Deborah, what are you doing? What, like, what is going on with you? We are just watching you massively explode in your life and business. So then I started coaching about the anatomy of money and how do we really get in touch with our bodies, with our breath, with our sensations, which are the beacon to where we're in constriction. And when you're in constriction, how can you receive money? How can you receive projects? How can you receive referrals? How can you receive clients? And constriction, what it feels like in the body is panic, right? It feels like kind of clenching in the heart. For a lot of people, it shows up in the throat where they can't ask for what they want. They can't say, this is what, I, what the investment will be to work with me. They, they can't put a, a, either a price tag that is accurate, nor can they hold a firm boundary. So they feel like they get bullied or exploited or like they're a doormat. All of that energetically is unconsciously repelling money. Mm. And the more open we are, the more we be a channel rather than a, uh, like I almost see it like a, like a pitcher, you know, that holds a certain amount of water. And I think a lot of people are in that relationship with money. Like I need that. I need that client because I need this much money. No, you don't. Your clients aren't responsible for you feeling secure and safe and whole. That's your work. And when Mm -hmm. you do that work, you realize that you're a channel. 
and that money is constantly flowing through your business. It's flowing to and through you, and you're also a source that's flowing to and through the community and your family and to the planet. Mm-hmm. So that's that's how I how I came upon it was, you know, I had a really dark period there where I felt like I lost so much. And mm-hmm. from that, just like nature, you know, I went dormant and completely bloomed with new vitality and new energy. Mm-hmm. I so appreciate that authentic, vulnerable share because uh, so many people have a hard time talking about their struggles with money, and yet we know it's the number one stress here in America is is financial stress. And so when there is so much uh, shame and fear and guilt that people feel, around it, it can be really hard to um, re-imagine what a healthy uh, relationship with money is, which is why I find it so powerful to work with people like you, where we can talk about it openly or in a group uh, setting to really break through some of that money fog that just um, keeps us confused and doubting ourselves and and really come into a more natural, cyclical um, uh, relationship with with money and our own productivity, and uh, and that's so important. Um, hmm. So I'm curious, you know, with so many people struggling with money, stressed about it, um, a lot of the people listening may be entrepreneurs. How how can we change the way that we think about money um, so that we can receive more and then contribute more? That is such a great question. And there were two things that you just said I want to pick up on. One was that um, you just said that money is the biggest source of stress. And for people who are listening, and if you're feeling the stress of money, I just invite you to... Feel into your body when you think about that money stress. And money stress can show up in so many different ways. It can show up in our income where we feel like I'm working my butt off and I'm not being paid what I deserve, right? There's a, so what's underneath of that? What does that mean about you? What inner conversation is happening that you might not be aware of if you're feeling money stress? It might show up around your income. When I work with people around their income, the number one emotion that comes up is sadness, where Mm. people feel, well, I guess I'm really unworthy. Mm -hmm. I guess the reason I'm not making that much is because people don't value me. And especially for women, this is one of the reasons I feel so passionate about this, is because the devaluation of the feminine is not in alignment with me. You've just heard me talk about for the last 20 minutes how much I love Mother Earth, right? That is my mother. That is the mother of all of us. And every single one of us came from Mother Earth. And then every single one of us came through our own human mother who came from a human mother. Whether you are a man or a woman or wherever you are on that gender spectrum, you came from a woman. And it feels... Like, we have a lot of healing to do collectively in the awakening on the planet to honor the feminine. And so part of what I can help people do is honor that feminine in you. And that doesn't mean 
that you have to be female identified to honor the feminine. It's uh, the feminine energetically is an aspect of co-creation. It's of trust and recognizing that you are part of something bigger. And Crystal just said something about learning to have a relationship with money that honors the cycle. And one of the ways that we get so derailed is by dishonoring that cycle and by thinking that the amount of money that's in your savings account right now or the amount of debt that you're experiencing right now is the truth. It's not the truth. It is a blip in time. And you know whatever is happening in your income stream, that money comes and it it goes. You receive payment and then you spend it at the farmer's market. Money comes in and you pay your electric bill. Money comes in and you pay your cell phone bill. Money comes in and you decide to contribute to the NRDC or the Humane Society, you know, or whatever, whatever cycle you're in with money, it's not stagnant. So if you're having a relationship with money that's stagnant, one of the quickest ways for you to dislodge that stagnant cycle is contribute. Yeah. And, and, you know, and there may be people who right away are like, oh, no, no, I don't have enough money to contribute. But I just want you to bear with this thought and, and feel the energy of this thought. Think about a stagnant pool. What do you want to do when you're on a hike and you find a stagnant pool? You want to put a stick in it, right? And you want to move it around. So if you're feeling like there's stagnancy in your income, nothing's coming, nothing's moving, I invite you to contribute to something, anything. You could contribute a dollar to a homeless person. You could contribute $5 to your public radio station. Contribute to something that you love, that you value, that opens your heart. And when you start to contribute, there are a couple of things that happen. On a subconscious level, what you're announcing to yourself is, I am part of something bigger. I matter. I'm making a difference right now. And that's so important because when we feel like we're stuck, the story that starts to run is, nothing I do is going to make a difference. I'm on this treadmill. I can't get off it. I'm totally stuck. So you can unstick yourself by contributing to something bigger. The second message that you're sending your subconscious mind is more is coming. I'm giving this because I know more is coming. And when you give freely and when you give from a place of love, tenfold it comes back to you. And I'll share with you a, a little, a personal story that was true for me last year, actually about a year and a half ago, I decided that I wanted to triple my income. And that's a big goal to triple my income. That was, you know, hitting into multiple six figures. And first I had to deal with all of my beliefs around I can't be spiritual and make money and who am I to want that much and, you know, all of that stuff which runs for all of us. And so I I worked through that healing already and I decided, okay, now I'm ready to triple my income. So then the question was how am I going to do it? The decision I made was I was going to get there in part through this vehicle of contribution to something bigger for the neurological reasons I just said, that you're, that you're telling your subconscious mind, 
I'm part of something bigger and I matter and there's plenty coming. And so I'm trusting in that and I'm leaning into that. And I made the decision to contribute from the place of not where I was, which at the time was, uh, at the time I made this decision, I was probably making around 75000 And after my deductions were all taken into account, I was maybe making 30000 a year. So I made the decision not from that place I was earning from, but from the place of where I wanted to earn from. So I decided I was going to be earning $200,000, and from that place I was going to contribute 10%. So that's a really big leap that I made. It was a quantum leap for my brain. I made the decision not from a place of scarcity, but from a place of abundance and prosperity and trust in the cycle and trust that I am part of that cycle. When you contribute to something, you're saying, I'm part of it. So I decided I am part of that cycle and I am contributing at this level to something I care about. And it happened to be, uh, it was a, an organization that builds wells and, and provides clean water and education for kids. And that's something that matters to me. So that's the decision I made. I didn't have the money at the moment, right? I just told you I was making at the time 80000 and after my deductions, my take-home pay was around 30000 But I decided, no, I'm earning at the level of 200000 I'm contributing at the level of somebody who earns 200000 Who do I get to be when I'm earning that much? How much do I get to contribute? How many lives can I change? And that was incredibly empowering for me to feel that. And I lived into that, and I made the commitment on a credit card that automatically deducted money from my credit card every month so I didn't have to think about it. And I subconsciously created this loop in my brain which said, okay, this month you're making X amount, which was going to cover, and I did. So it's an incredibly uh, powerful way to start to shift your way of thinking about money by deciding that you're going to contribute. Whether you start with a dollar or $100 a month or $1,000 a month, it doesn't matter. What matters is that you decide that you matter and that you are part of something bigger. It's the, it's the isolation saying, well, I'm not that, that stops the flow. So you mm. get into the flow by getting into the flow because you are the flow. Does that make sense? Totally. Oh, that's brilliant. I just love that because it takes away that um, resistance that comes from this. When this happens, I will then be generous. And so it like taps into this, what I call a genuine generosity that is the spirit within each of us that, that brought us here and that really animates life. And I that, you know, as we say yes to that generosity and, and really make it in alignment with our values and um, stretch beyond our comfort level, that then you, you know, manifested the, the money necessary to do that. I think that's yeah. a brilliant story. And I love that you just brought up the when this, then that, because that was a thing that used to run for me too, right? Like I had every scarcity thing in the book. I had every excuse in the book. I was so attached to my limitations and I argued for them tooth and nail and I got them, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you like your limitations and you're going to keep arguing for them, guess what? They're yours. So I used to have that, well, when I make this much money, then I'll contribute, right? And we all have various uh, permutations of that. When I lose 10 pounds, then I'll feel good in my body, or when I, whatever, make a certain amount of money, then I'll go on vacation, or whatever it is, when this, then that. And I started 
checking out, is that thought actually the way nature does it? No. What nature does, right? Nature, there's a seed in the ground, and it just starts to grow. And -hmm. nature doesn't say, well, I'm going to wait. Right? Like, you know, how many times have you seen a dandelion growing up in between the cracks of your driveway or the sidewalk? Right? Nature doesn't say, well, I'm going to wait to have a nice grassy field. No, nature grows wherever she is, and she mm-hmm. starts with where she is. You know, if you have house plants, if you're walking around your neighborhood, look at all the new growth everywhere. And especially if you, I live in Boulder, Colorado, and there's been a lot of fire damage here. And if you go for a hike and you see fire damage, look next to, you know, the, the charred stumps and see what's growing. Look next to fallen trees. We have a lot of bark beetle uh, kill here happening too. And look next to the fallen tree. Look at the understory. Like nature is going to grow wherever she is. Mm. And even the flood was a great lesson in this because the water found its way into my basement. <laughs> you know, how did it get here? We have a foundation. We have concrete, right? And the nature and, the, and, and you know, water found its way in anyway. And mm. so when you just allow that you're incredibly powerful and, you know, there's that saying where there's a will, there's a way, like just decide that you're going to live at this level. You're going to contribute to what you really care about. And I realized that it was incredibly spiritual to be able to contribute generously to stuff that I value and love so much, like clean air and clean water and open space. Mm-hmm. You know, from my perspective, we're not separate from any of it. And the more you make yourself separate, the more you cut yourself off from the flow. Yes, totally. Yeah, I really see that poverty is just uh, disconnection. And that really, this is why I'm calling, I feel like we're moving into a more intimate economy where we have more authenticity, connection, vulnerability, and openness and intimacy in our relationship with ourselves, our body, our spirit, our money, and and the natural world, and that that, you know, creates such vitality and um, deep satisfaction. There's this human longing for connection and, and meaningful connection, and so that I totally agree with, with what you're sharing there. Um, yeah. I think there's all, you know, we were talking about stress a little bit ago, and just from the body's perspective, when we're feeling stress and the, and the context we put around it makes us feel constriction, because stress isn't good or bad. It's a response to a conditioned way of interpreting something. Mm-hmm. Um, stress, right? If you think about, there's a really awesome TED Talk about this. It's um, Kelly McGonigal, you, your listeners, our listeners can... Google TED Talk Stress Kelly McGonigal, and you'll, you'll see this really brilliant TED Talk, and she talks about stress. And if we think about stress as something that's bad for us, we're just going to put bad in air quotes, we feel constriction, we feel fear, we feel anxiety. So in the context of money stress, it can feel very debilitating and paralyzing, right? Like nothing I do is going to make a difference. I'm on a treadmill. I'm going to have to work that much harder, and it's depleting me. And when you have that context of stress, you're actually uh, – um, your, your blood vessels are going to constrict. 
It's going to increase your blood pressure because your heart's going to have to pump harder to get the blood to circulate around your body because the, the blood vessels are constricted. And so you're also creating not only internal stress literally in your body and on your cardiovascular system, but you're down-regulating the immune receptors on your cell. And what that's like is... You know how when you go to the airport and you need to charge your phone and you're looking for a jack and there are no jacks? That's what an immune receptor is. The more immune receptors you have on your cell, the better your immune response. And so you're actually decreasing your body's ability to handle the stress, right? Your immune system is depleted. People get sick more. They get chronic fatigue. They start having digestive issues because your digestive system goes offline. When you're having that stress response, you get more belly fat, more cortisol, more adrenaline. You're more hypersensitive. All of that stuff is related to your nervous system's response to stress. And so when people are thinking about money, you know, all I have to say to you is think about your income right now and ask yourself, is that enough? And everybody who's listening is going to have a stress response where they're going to feel their heart start to pound if it's not enough, right? They're automatically Mm -hmm. going to have this mind-body-money connection. Mm -hmm. The other alternative uh, interpretation of stress is that it's there to protect your body. So, and this is also a stress response. When newborns cry, what happens? Somebody picks them up and hugs them, right? Right? And that's a stress response, and it releases a neurotransmitter called oxytocin, which is a hormone that tells us, go hug somebody. Mm -hmm. Go be in community. When you're feeling anxious, be in community. Mm -hmm. And, And that stress response actually dilates your blood vessels. It actually mm-hmm. lowers your blood pressure. It actually calms your heart. It improves your digestion, and it boosts your immune system. So when you're feeling stress of money, how could you reframe it in a way that really supports you so that you could say to yourself, thank you so much, body, for giving me this information Thank you for showing me this is my conditioned pattern and I'm empowered and I can choose something different. Mm. And that will change everything. So stress isn't by definition bad, but it's the context we put around it that makes us feel dis-ease in our body, which makes us feel dis-ease in our relationship to money. Mm. And I think it's a really at the root of the work that I'm doing and the work that you're doing, Crystal, is to help contribute to the conversation that we are all interconnected and that our true wealth and our true health are inseparable and that my health and your health is inextricably linked to the health of the planet, Mm. which is inextricably linked to everything contributing to and affecting everything. And I think the money challenge that we're having right now globally is a distribution problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's partly yeah. why I'm doing the work that I'm doing is because I love making more money so that I can redistribute the wealth on the planet. <laughs> why not us? Why not? 
<laughs> oh yes, yes, um, yes. Let's uh, let's take a short break here and and come back and dive some more into some of these uh, approaches with working with the subconscious and how people who are going through periods of change can develop greater resilience and an ability to really adapt. We all know the world is changing quickly. So we'll be back in just a minute. Do you get choked up and flush talking about money? Don't let fear and shame stop you from sharing your value. Speak up, sister. Find out how to boost your financial communication skills at www.findyourmoneyvoice.com. Perhaps you're like Gwen, a budding, creative entrepreneur who wants to provide for her family, but she has a tough time expressing her needs. She chronically undercharges and lays awake at night with money stress. With Crystal's Find Your Money Voice training, she found renewed confidence speaking her self-worth. Transform beliefs, behaviors, and skills with money. With greater clarity and focus, Gwen more confidently negotiated solid agreements and increased her business earnings with the trainings found at findyourmoneyvoice.com. Welcome back. We are here with guest Deborah Fryer. Having such an insightful conversation. I'm really appreciating your, uh, you know, both scientific and spiritual insights into this human anatomy and the anatomy of money. Um, so we're all aware that big changes are, are happening in the world and we're reimagining money and power and, you know, what is really valuable? How do we live in greater harmony with the environment? And so, and for many entrepreneurs, it can be unsettling. Like there's opportunities that we feel and excitement and yet it's, it's such an unpredictable future and, and many entrepreneurs have, you know, waves in their own income cycles of, of how much money they're bringing in. And so I'm curious, I, I feel like developing resilience is so important, which is really our ability to adapt and respond intelligently to change instead of reacting and um so, you know, it's our flexibility, our ability to stay connected and adapt. And so I'm curious what advice you have for people who are, you know, uh, dealing with change either personally or, you know, with the global change happening. How, how can people become more resilient and adaptive? I love that question. My favorite practice, I have two favorite practices, and I'll share them both. They're completely free, and they feel great. Number one is deep breathing. And I know it, sounds, it may sound trite, right? When people say just breathe, it can be really annoying when people say that, and you're all in a tiz. But I want to give you the science of why this works. So when people breathe through the mouth, that's how you breathe when you're on the treadmill or you're running or you're hyperventilating, right? It's a, it's a way of breathing that is very reactive. And 
in order for you to really be at your peak so that you can be responsible, that's responsible, but you're able to respond in a way that is thoughtful, it's compassionate, it's practical, it's helpful, it serves you and it serves the greater whole, breathe through your nose. So we have these ridges in in our nose. They're called nasal conches, just like a conch shell. And when you breathe over those, the air will actually go all the way to the lower lobes of your lungs. And at the lower lobes of your lungs, a few things happen. That's where best oxygen exchange happens. And we've talked about reciprocity. What happens when you breathe is you're taking in the oxygen. It goes all the way to the lower lobes of your lungs, and it has to go to the lower lobes of your lungs for the best oxygen exchange the oxygen is going to pass through the lungs onto the red blood cells, which, is going to, which are going to carry it around the body and transport it to the organs and the brain and the tissue that need oxygen. It's going to drop off the oxygen, and those red blood cells are going to pick up CO2, which is waste for the body. It's toxic to the body, and also metabolic waste. And it's going to bring that back up to those lower lobes of the lungs, and we're going to exhale it out of the body. So when you breathe through the nose, when you can access the lower lobes of your lungs, you're oxygenating the body better, you're detoxifying the body better, and there are nerve endings on the lower lobes of your lungs that correspond to the, what we call the parasympathetic nervous system, which is the rest and digest part of the body. A few moments ago, we were talking about the stress response and how do you move between feeling constriction and fear and anxiety into feeling expansiveness and ease. And that's how. The parasympathetic nervous system is the part that's responsible for ease. We call it the rest and digest part of the system versus the sympathetic part, which is the fight, flight, or freeze part, right? That's the part that takes us into anxiety and overwhelm. So deep breathing actually activates the rest and digest part of your body. And the third, uh, fourth thing is that when you breathe through your nose, that creates more nitric oxide in the body, which dilates your blood vessels, which also brings you more into ease. So that's my first tip super simple, just breathe. Like Give yourself permission to take in. What is breathing? But it's teaching yourself to receive. When you're hyperventilating, when you're panting, you're not taking in very much. And if you want to take in more money, if you want to take in more clients, if you want to take in more abundance and joyfulness and enthusiasm and prosperity, start by training yourself to receive with something that is as close as how you breathe. Fully breathe in. Take in as much as you possibly can and then sip in a little bit more. And fill up all the way underneath your collarbones. Let the lungs drop all the way into the belly. Let the diaphragm relax. Let your, your stomach pooch out because you've breathed in so much. Really expand your capacity to receive. And then exhale gently, slowly through your mouth. So that's number one. Deep breaths. Start with six. See what happens. Uh, the second thing is gratitudes. Have a daily practice at least twice a day, more if if you want to bring that into your life, but start with twice a day. The first thing that you do the minute you're aware that you're awake, ask yourself, what are five things I'm grateful for? Before you jump out of bed, set your brain for gratitude. We call this cognitive priming in the in the neuroscience world, when you prime your brain for gratitude, you're telling your brain, go look for stuff I'm grateful for. And 
the brain is going to go do it. It's like a very obedient puppy. You throw a tennis ball, and it's going to run joyfully after it, and it's going to be so proud to bring you back the gratitude. So ask yourself, what am I grateful for? It doesn't have to be a big deal, right? Like every morning I wake up, and I'm so grateful. I'm in a warm, soft bed. I'm so grateful I have clean water. I'm so grateful I live in a safe environment, and there aren't bombs dropping around me. I'm so grateful that I'm alive. I'm so grateful that I can contribute in the ways that I can. It doesn't have to be, oh, I'm so grateful because I made X amount of money or whatever it is. It can be anything that you feel grateful for, anything that that really makes your heart feel alive. And Mm. I do that first thing in the morning, and I do it last thing uh, at night as I'm falling Mm. asleep. So I'm constantly priming my brain for what am I grateful for. Now, sometimes shit happens, and that happens to all of us, right? All of these practices do not uh, give you immunity from life, right? I mean, we just talked about a flood. That's Mother Nature raging out of control a little bit. And so when that happens, because there are going to be people who are raging out of control, and sometimes you are going to be raging out of control. There are going to be clients who don't pay or who don't pay on time or who don't show up or who knows what. But any, any number of things can and will go wrong. So just rejoice in that. Diversity happened because a mutation happened, right? Something didn't go according to plan. And then we end up with this incredible diversity on the planet. So mm. when stuff doesn't go according to your plan, remember, that's just your plan, just your, your little plan. And we live on a planet with, what, 9 billion humans, not to mention how many species and, of, of four-legged and finned and feathered and plants. Mm. So, I mean, from my perspective, again, like we're just one of many. That's the feminine perspective. That doesn't negate the importance of you. Mm-hmm. At all, right? The importance of you, the solar aspect of you is valid also. And the part that reminds you that you're part of a greater whole is super important. And I think we get derailed when we say, oh, it's it's my problem, right? Like, how am I going to pay my bills? We're all caught up in in my ego stuff. People aren't going to like me if I do that. How am I going to pay my rent? I can't charge that much. I don't like money. People don't want to pay me. Like, that's all your ego stuff, right? And the world mm-hmm. is way bigger than that. So <laughs> that it true. helps me to go into the gratitude thing and ask what I'm grateful for. And secondly, when stuff goes bad or not according to my liking, is to recognize my plan is just my plan and I'm not the ruler of the world. And thank goddess I'm not because I wouldn't want that job. Um, but I am in control of my emotional response to what comes Mm. through. And so I like to ask myself the gratitude question. I like to turn that question on its head and say, this is great because it's great that the flood happened because I had 20-year-old skanky carpet in my office and now I have a brand new beautiful white tile floor. It's great that the flood happened because I used to have a desk that I had to sit down at and now I have a standing desk. It's great that the flood happened because it launched this whole new business that I have, which is the Anatomy of Money coaching program. And I never would have, or I don't know when I would have gotten, I suppose I eventually would have gotten to this place because it was on my soul's evolution to get here. But thanks to the flood, it accelerated that. So there's a way of just reframing, this is great that this really crappy thing happened because Mm. I, I got deep learning about the body. Yeah, about how we're not separate from anything. Yes. Does that help? 
Totally. Yeah, that's really, uh, really profound. I, I appreciate, you know, holding that paradox of my unique genius is incredibly valuable and I am one with, <laughs> you know, there's, there, we're able to really um, be able to recognize the interconnectedness along yeah. our unique role. And I, um, you know, I, I love the heart again for that because we're this organism that has trillions of cells and trillions of impulses and contexts, and the heart is one part of it, but the heart doesn't do the work of the brain. The brain doesn't do the work of the kidneys. The kidneys aren't doing the work of the ribs. The ribs aren't doing the work of the skin. The skin isn't doing the job of the teeth. You know, every part is working in service of the whole. Right. And each one of us is part of a family structure and a community structure and a global pattern, right? We're in a tribe right now here with you, Crystal, of of people in conversation around how do we heal our relationship with money and how do we recognize the connection between money and the planet, mm. right? And each of us has something to contribute, which is a valuable part of the whole, and that part is valuable and the whole is valuable. And, and we can be both, right? We can hold our vulnerability and our power. We can hold our individual, individuality and our uniqueness and the ways that all of us need to show up for, mm. the, for the greatness and the totality of the whole. Yes, so true. That's a great call to action for people. Um, so we just have, you know, a few minutes left here. I would love to hear briefly about, you know, uh, what you say is a specific blueprint in our body that actually dictates exactly how much money we're allowed to receive, save, and contribute. And, uh, yeah, we just have a few minutes, but I'd really like to hear what that's all about. So what that's about, the specific money blueprint that we carry in the body, is that every single one of us has what, we, what I call a financial set point. And you could substitute for the word financial set point a receiving set point. And think about it like the thermostat in your house. When you set the thermostat in your house, you're telling the thermostat, I'm comfortable at this range. Let's say it's between 68 and 72. And any time the temperature gets below that, the heat's going to come on. And any time it gets above that, the air conditioning is going to come on because that thermostat has been calibrated by you to your zone of comfort. We all have that in our bodies. And it shows up in what happens when we have money coming in. There are a lot of people that I work with and a lot of people in the world in general who have a certain financial set point that says, I'm only allowed to earn X amount of money. Whatever that number is, let's say it's 50000 That's That's the number I hear a lot with the people that I work with. They're allowed to make fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000. And if they make more, they will do whatever they need to do to get rid of it. It is completely unconscious. But they will sabotage in some way. They'll get fired from a job. They'll create something in their environment where all of a sudden they've got $10,000 worth of expenses, so the money that they just earned immediately goes away. 
they will have some kind of an energy leak, a bill they haven't paid, a tax they haven't paid, insurance they're not uh, current on, something to make sure that money goes away so they never make more than fifty, sixty thousand dollars whatever their limit is. I had one client who is a multiple six-figure earner, uh, an artist, super creative, super brilliant, and she had this in her paradigm where she was never allowed to make more than a certain amount of money, and she was never allowed to have more in her savings. And the work that we did together around why it was not safe for her to have money in her savings account turned out to be something that happened to her in her childhood. And, uh, and it was a very specific amount of money that she lost in her childhood. And if she went above, and she learned that it wasn't safe for her to have more than that. If she had more, it was not safe. So the minute that there was more than that in her savings account, it would all go away. Wow. She would have a leak in her roof, or her car would need a repair, or um, she would get a bill that was, you know, exactly the amount. But that was a, a subconscious thing, and we had to clear that block. And you know, as, as soon as we did, then her savings it ten xed. Um, wow. It shows up in debt. And debt is a is a particular kind of money that makes us feel like I've screwed up, right? It makes us feel the opposite of free. Um, and people have a certain set point with what feels comfortable or not. Same with income, right? There are a lot of people who say, I want to make, I don't know, let's say I want to make $100,000. A lot of people on this call, like that's a big ceiling they want to break through. I want to make $100,000. And they might be making you know, 90, 92, 95, they might be really close, but in their mind, that's what they're saying, and that's what they're going to hit, and they're not, and if they don't make it be a bigger one, it's going to be hard for them to get past it. Now, where does that come from? It comes from our families of origin. It comes from our culture. It comes from these beliefs that we were talking about of, I don't deserve to have more. People won't like me if I have more. Um, I can't be spiritual and I can't be rich. People who have money are jerks. Like all of these belief systems play into our money map. And that money map has this unconscious hold on you. 90% of what we're thinking is subconscious. So if we don't clear it, we're not even aware of it. And the way mm. to start being aware of it is just to start being really mindful of your money. You've got to pay attention to your money. So one of the, one of the biggest uh, signals when I start working with somebody is I ask them, how much do you have in your savings account? What's your income? What's your income goal? What's your debt? Are you receiving any money from a divorce settlement or from a lawsuit or anything that has energy bound up in it? Because when money has energy that feels angry or constricting or not fair, right? And those, those cases, divorce, a lawsuit or medical expense, those are three of the biggest uh, ways that we get into an unhealthy relationship with money because it's not mm. the money, it's the relationship with the person who's paying the divorce settlement or it's anger at the body for betraying you or anger at the medical system and ways that we're not feeling heard, we're not feeling validated, right? So it's actually really deep work to do the money healing because it doesn't have to do with the money. It has to do with your worthiness, your value, Mm. Wow, that's that's great to point out. I 
really uh, encourage listeners to see if that is something that's affecting them. And then um, if people are feeling touched by what you've said and and would like to find out more, um, could you tell them a little bit more about Next Steps and your Turn on the Tap book is amazing. So we'll have that link in in the write-up here, but go ahead and share what, what people can expect and how to find you. Great. Well, thank you so much for that opportunity, Crystal. If people are interested in diving a little bit more deeply into this work, you can navigate over to DeborahFryer.com, D-E-B-O-R-A-H-F-R-Y-E-R.com. The link is on Crystal's page, and there's a free book there for you, and you can download that book. And there's a lot of information in there that will help you understand ways that you might unconsciously be repelling money and ways to open your channel so that you can receive more. And um, if you feel called to work even more deeply, then there's an opportunity at the end of that book where you can contact me. And, um, mm. and I'd be happy to uh, talk with you more about where you feel that your money blocks and, and uh, challenges are, and I can help you move through them. Mm, wonderful. I just love hearing the stories of people's success when they have the courage to take that first step to reaching out and getting help with someone um, from someone like you or I who is able to just be a guide and, and help people navigate uh, and create a more healthy relationship with money. Um, do you have any closing thoughts here in the last couple minutes? I just want to thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to share with your audience. I feel really passionate about this work, and I'm so grateful to you, Crystal, for for having this platform for women around the world to share their relationship with money and how we can heal it in service of the planet. Mm. Yes, and oh, I encourage people to find you on Facebook. I've so been enjoying your Facebook Live uh, posts every day and just uh, applaud you on the courage it took to um, really commit to that challenge and and that practice of posting or going live on Facebook every day. Um, So check out Deborah there and uh, so much gratitude for you and feel like you're um, kind of like a spiritual warrior-esque. (laughs) <laughs> like mm. really bringing to light some of these dark, shadowy places for people and uh, and helping them recognize their own magnificence and uh, potential to be a change maker and uh, and just really appreciate that about you and your work. Mm, thank you. And thank you. Much gratitude to you, too. Mm, yes. All right. Well, I hope everyone enjoyed this stimulating conversation and do encourage everyone to take some action today, whether it's the gratitude, some mindful breathing, downloading Deborah's book, just uh, really have the courage and motivation to um, continue this momentum and take some action towards a more healthy and loving relationship with money, which will allow money to uh, flow more easily into your life. All right. So everyone, that's all for now. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, the biggest compliment you can give us is to subscribe to the show and rate and review our podcast at iTunes. 
be sure to visit www.moneymorphosis.com. That's money-m-o-r-p-h-o-s-i-s.com to join the growing community of empowered women who are dedicated to creating the true wealth they deserve.